Hello, and welcome to the Queer Readers Discord server. I'm Rachel, a server moderator. And I'm Ella, another moderator. And our spotlight book for this month is Pick Me by May Archer. And today we are so excited to have the author with us. Hi, May. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to have you. Just to get us started, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing. Uh about me so i'm a mom of three um older teenagers and let's see i started writing professionally uh, as well i should say i i was a i was actually um a technical writer for the cdc in a previous life and i used to write about like horrible diseases and listeria outbreaks and all of those like terrible things that you would hear on the news. I used to write public health content for the CDC. And then um, when my contract ended, I, I became a, uh, a fiction writer. And I actually started out publishing MF romance with a friend of mine who was, she was really interested in the idea of publishing. And I had always imagined it was a thing that would be really, really complicated and wasn't for regular people. And um, that I didn't have a thick enough skin to do it, but she really pushed me to um, to try. And so we published quite a few very niche books, MF books, <clears throat> that are still available. And um, then I had started reading MM Romance uh, probably at the beginning of 2017, and I fell in love with it. It was all that I was reading anymore. And it was, it was really hard for me to write MF books when all that I wanted to read and kind of talk about was MM. And that's how I ended up making the switch to writing MM. And then I published my first MM in September of 2017. And that's pretty much it, I think. <laughs> I think that's how I got started, for sure. Okay, now and I have then, to ask, yeah. like, do you ever draw on your CDC experience, like, whilst writing your books? <laughs> Honestly, honestly, no. Like I haven't. <laughs> no, I don't think I would want to. I don't think true. It's, it's some of it is like it's, it really is. It really is. Yeah, but there are some things that are <clears throat> that are interesting because when I was writing for the CDC, we would have to make sure that our language was like at a certain grade level. And so I think I think one way that it did help me is that I learned to write in a more relatable way and to not necessarily use every big word that I knew, but to sort of like, I don't know, sometimes it can be more accessible, more understandable when you, there are ways that you can write that without losing the meaning, you know? And so I think in that way, it did kind of help me a little bit, but in terms of the actual content that I was writing, God, no, no. <laughs> no. When I write my zombie apocalypse book, that's when I'll call on that, uh, that training. We're so ready for your zombie apocalypse book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Keep waiting. <laughs> Please. Um, yeah. Okay, so that leads me to my next questions. Kind of how do you describe your writing process? Is it the same as CDC or is it, I'm guessing, dramatically different? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm hung up, I'm hung up on this. Um, um, my writing process is, is uh, very, 
uh, not productive. <laughs> I probably could come up with a better writing process, lots of them. But um, I go back and forth a lot and I edit a lot. I edit really heavily. So my writing process is pretty slow, but when I'm done, it's a really clean draft. Um, and I am a plotter for sure. Uh, I don't plot heavily. Like I don't, uh, I don't sketch out my chapters in too much detail when I'm plotting, but I definitely have to have a framework. I even sometimes deviate from the framework, but I just, I'm not, I'm not a brave enough soul to sort of like just launch into the story untethered to anything. I'm really afraid because I'm a slow writer, I'm really afraid that I will get 50,000 words in the wrong direction and then figure out that I needed to backtrack 20,000 words and that would just be debilitating to me. So um, I need a lot of structure. Um, let's see. And oh, recently I found that that it really helps me to plot out loud, <clears throat> like not to plot on my own, but to plot with a friend. So that is that is also a huge part of my process. And say on top of that, another thing is that I, as a kind of way of um, stopping myself from editing too much, like to the point where it becomes a form of procrastination, I send my stuff to a friend who gives me like a stamp of approval and says, that's done, May, move on. You're not allowed to change this anymore. And so I think for me, like making my writing more of a like collaborative process has been really helpful in make, keeping me a little bit produ more productive um, and on track a little bit more. We like to start the discussion of our spotlight books by asking for people who may not have read the book yet, what should they know about Pick Me and why should they give it a try? No, good Lord. Okay. Um, pick me. <laughs> Jeez. Is there anything harder? Like describe your book in like three sentences. Oh, that began when he was a tiny fetus. And he had some man pick. Like, <laughs> Let's see. Okay. So it's a, it is a book that is sort of a spinoff, but you definitely do not need to have read anything else before you read pick me. But technically one of the characters is a spinoff from a previous series, um, Gage, and he's a young guy who goes to Vermont to take a temporary job to pad his resume and ends up falling for a guy who is on an orchard there. <clears throat> and there are some, some um, discussion of mental health issues and also finding your place in the world and what success really means. Those are things that I was thinking about when I was writing this and kind of wrestling with. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's set in Vermont on an orchard with some crazy neighbors and some really hot, punky, like lumberjacky brothers. And, and it's funny. And that's that. <laughs> you did a great job answering. That's why we asked that question <laughs> because we want to give you an opportunity to give such a good answer. I, I think, um, it does put you on the spot though. Cause it's like, sell your book to everyone, which I think can be hard for authors, but <laughs> not every actual worst. <laughs> I kind of want to be like, just begging people like, I'll pay you to read it. How about that? You know, like that, that one, it definitely seems, definitely seems weird to me that uh, it's the other way around. So I'm always, I'm always shocked and like so appreciative when people have read things that I've written and enjoyed it. It's, it's the coolest thing to know that, you 
put something out there that somebody else connected with is legitimately the coolest thing. The best part of this job for sure. Well, then that must make you very proud of Pick Me because I know you've gotten well-deserved good feedback on the book from the market, if you will. And um, also um, Ella and I have both spent a lot of time talking about the things that you just mentioned in the book and why, how all of those elements combine to make it really special. I guess I felt like um, there are, there's this like really fun, um, there's a really fun premise of sort of the age gap and the personalities type differences and all of those things that everyone can enjoy in a book. But then it has these like deeper layers, you know, um, like you mentioned the, the theme of um, sort of not theme so much, but the element of mental health and that discussion, like in the book in a way that felt very authentic, but didn't really weigh it down, if you will. You know, I, I think that that was, a testament to your skill and something that you don't often see in romances. And so I love that about it. Ella, do you have anything else you want to like, um, just gush at about with May for a second since she's pretending think... like. <laughs> <laughs> it is just <laughs> such all... an uplifting read. And like, whilst, yeah, it does deal with like a lot of more serious aspects, but like, I just had so much fun with this book and I needed like, yeah. I needed chewing up when I read it and it did the job. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's the thing about it, I guess, that's so amazing, that it is fun. It's just such a fun book. But yeah, it has these other things in it that just go a little deeper, but not in a way that makes it like, you know, doesn't doesn't tucker you out just is a fun, a fun ride from beginning to end. So those are the things that we think would make someone want to read the book if they haven't read it yet, I think. but we'll get into even more of the things that we loved about it as we ask more of the specific questions, including so Gage <laughs> and Gage. And as you mentioned, um, he's a character from another series that you wrote, but you wouldn't readers wouldn't have to check that out, but they should. <laughs> I mean, they should read it because they're great books. <laughs> they could enjoy Pick Me First for sure. So I'm curious when you realized that Gage was, um, you know, meant for another series like when did you realize that his story was going to carry you into another setting and another group of characters Uh, so actually I had a lot of back and forth about what Gage's story was going to be when I first started this this is probably bad this is probably peeling back too many layers of the onion but um I actually thought that he was going to end up in Whispering Key and I actually thought that he was going to end up with one of the guys that one of his brothers ended up with. But then as I was started writing like down that path and brainstorming that story, I was like, wow, this is all wrong. These guys could not be more wrong for each other. And I realized that Gage needed something else. And I thought that he, he needs like adventure. He needs to go out and do something different. And I had been wanting to write a series set in new England because that's where I live. Um, And so I had wanted to write a kind of Vermont series. So that's how Gage ended up in Vermont. He needed something different. He needed to get out from under the shadows of his big brothers. Um, Yeah. He, and he needed his own little, he needed his own little adventure, which led him to like the world's tiniest town, (laughs) which it's not, it's not a big time adventure, but it's, it's kind of, it was what he needed. He needed to like find a place that he could be important. And that was really hard because his older brothers have such big personalities. 
uh, yeah. So he needed to find somebody else, some place else to live, some another family that would appreciate him. Um, and he did. Yeah, so I knew part of the answer to that question, which is why I, why I wanted yeah. to ask. I think that's such a cool, I think that's such a cool thing that. Um, well, should I say who he would end up with just so that people can like be horrified? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. No, please, I'm dying to know now. Okay, okay. He was going to end up with, he was going to end up with Jay, who was one of the main characters in that, that, he was one of the main characters in the in the last book of the Whispering Key series. Jay and and Rafe, who is uh, Gage's older brother, um, they were best friends for years and years. And so Gage always had kind of a childhood crush on Jay. And so initially I was going to have that come to fulfillment and have Rafe be the one who went off to find his big adventure elsewhere and like kind of shake off the dust of the island. Um, but yeah, it didn't work out like that. And also, yeah, it just didn't work out like that. Because the, as I was trying to plot that book, it was just so wrong. Rafe kept coming up and I was like, no, I need to see them together. And yeah, so it, was, <laughs> it definitely worked out the way it was meant to. But um, I was trying. I was trying to make it fit the other way and it did not. I just think that's so great for readers to hear because it's like... Um, for us, um, the characters are so real, you know, and distinct and their love story feels like destiny. You know what I mean? But yeah. on another level, like we realized that authors created them and put them in the situations that they were put in, in the book. And like, you know, so it's fun to be, to kind of have that sense of the story having its own, its own life, having that confirmed from time to time, I think is really special. So right. I love that for that reason. It's kind of funny when people assume that you did things for like a reason or that you had an ultimate plan, like you were, you were intending to do that all along. And, uh, and it's so rarely the case, especially for me. It's very haphazard, <laughs> very accidental. Oh, cool. Well, I'm glad it worked out this way. Cause like I was saying, you know, after reading the book, it, you know, it, you can't imagine anything but what Gage experiences in Vermont. And of course yeah. that's sort of, and then he has two amazing giant families, which is, um, I'm a little jealous, but I'll allow right. it because he's cute. So two groups of very weird, um, quirky found families as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite parts of, um, pick me is just kind of at the very beginning when Knox just is quite mean to Gage. And so in retaliation, mm -hmm. Gage is just like being deliberately annoying to Valamov. And yeah, yeah, I was saying, I was just reading yeah. it. <laughs> just, just pretending that like he's not paying any attention. And there are just so mm -hmm. many great lines. And I know like humor is so difficult to write. So how did you go about writing these moments? Um, so I guess in that case, it's pretty easy because, because Knox is the oldest brother, right? So he's got that older sibling um <clears throat> he takes himself pretty seriously at least at the beginning of the book um whereas gage is the youngest brother right so he i'm just i mostly looked at my children and saw how my youngest kid uh he likes to just 
nag at the, the best way to get at somebody who who thinks that they're like important is just to kind of ignore them and to um make fun of poke fun at them in tiny little ways and just get under their skin and so so that but then also like the fact that they were super attracted to each other in and that like contributed to it also Knox really didn't know what to do with his overwhelming attraction to Gage and Gage uh you know has not really had a mature relationship um so he didn't really know like a a mature way to approach the the feelings that he had so I don't know so it did come out it was just a comedic situation but I do notice that like especially ever since the pandemic my writing has tended to kind of veer more toward humor I and think because like life has become so serious and I I enjoy the escape of writing it you know so um yeah everything that I've co-written everything that I've solo written is definitely I mean it's always had some amount of humor in it but I've very very much leaned into that since 2020 I would say yeah, I agree with uh, Ella about the humor, and I think um, that that it that it comes naturally to you makes sense because the book is kind of infused with all of this, um, just the di- just the way that Gage and Knox connect is in their sort of banter and their formation of these little inside jokes, and I love that. Um, that sense of like a relationship where they could be in a room together and, you know, someone would say something, their eyes would meet, they would each know exactly what the other one was thinking. I mean, you really had that feeling in the book, um, which I loved. I wondered if, um, if that just sort of was an organic thing too, or if that's, if that kind of like intimacy through inside jokes and shared humor and like all of that, is that something that you have to put in deliberately or is it something that, the characters kind of um bring on their own or how does that happen because it just feels so it feels so natural as as you read it but I imagine it doesn't come about quite as easily as you make it seem to be actually it kind of like that's I don't know I think maybe that part like the little inside jokes and the um the the things that keep coming up like the little callbacks and the and the mirror moments and that kind of thing that is something that I just that is I don't want to say it's like natural or something but it, I think it's just a function of how much how much how many books I read how much romance I read that it just like it does kind of come out that way and I don't I think if I really had to stop and think about it or overthink it that it wouldn't come out well or it would seem more forced. Um, yeah, I think part of that is just the, the personality thing or, or uh, like, because I've read so many books and I just, yeah, that, that's just kind of a thing I've absorbed. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess every author has, like, a, their strengths and weaknesses. And I think clearly <laughs> your humor and your, um, yeah, your character's dialogue, I think, is a strength. And that's a good strength to have in romance, right? but I will say I will say but it's as every strength with every strength right it can also be a weakness because I would make a conversation 10 chapters long I would have a whole romance where they never moved they just sat in a room and bantered at each other until they were like I love you and that would be it 
that would be the whole book, the end. And I need, I definitely, what I have to go back and add all the time is like, they need to do other things, May. <laughs> you read that. That's awesome. <laughs> you see, I would love that because I find that I just tend to skip over the description parts just to get to the dialogue. I'm just like, no, I need to go back and actually figure out what's happening. Well, you know yeah. how you're like, you're like Goodreads reviews, and I read them a little bit too much and definitely one of the things that doesn't work for a lot of people but it's as always right it's just, what doesn't work for one person is the thing that really really works for another person <laughs> and so and it's the dialogue thing people are like he needed to stop talking he, he needed to stop talking. <laughs> women talk during sex that's a thing that I get all the time and I'm like well like yeah I mean it's you know um so that, and that actually is kind of funny because that's a thing that I have been helped with by um, co-writing. So like um, I've most recently I've been co-writing with Lucy Lennox and she is amazing at um, pacing. And, and I think that has really helped me so, so much because I have been, um, I'm, I really would just you know, wallow in dialogue and just and feeling also um, inner thoughts because <laughs> she was saying something to me the other day, like, wow, you are just so good at writing an overthinking character. And I was like, honey, all I write are overthinking <laughs> characters. It's like in every book, there's a well that May Archer goes to, and that is the well. I mean, that's because I, that's me. That's me. That's the me on the page, the overthinking, like, um snarky character is me um and I'd so that has you know I think it's helped like my pacing a lot to see the way that she structures her stories and the way she's like move it along move it along because uh, I and that and that, that's moving and it really keeps the reader engaged you know so and I I think like I said that that's like a thing that I need to uh work on a little bit more oh yes Oh, sorry. I was just seeing a question. Do I find that co-writing has changed my writing process? Yes. Because, okay. So when I was saying that I plot out loud now, that is a hundred, I plot with Lucy and, uh, she, we, uh, I'm just really, really fortunate because we, um, have fallen into a really great pattern that we continue even with our solo books now, um, where, I get her feedback on things and we beta read for each other and we outlet like plot together. And if I'm at a point where I'm like, I have no idea what these characters are supposed to do right now, or I feel like I've written myself into a corner or I'm just not connecting with where they're supposed to be. Um, I can get feedback from her. So making it has made even my solos a little bit more of a collaborative process because writing can be so isolating and it's it's hard man it's hard because you've you would think that because you've created the characters that you know exactly what's going to happen next and sometimes I swear your brain hides the right answer from you just like just like your characters do for themselves right sometimes you don't know the way out of a situation any more than your characters do and you really need to kind of um struggle with it for a minute to figure out a, a solution that's authentic and um that is you know connects with the character that they are and the and the journey that they're on like the character arc that they're that they're on so I definitely am so much happier now that I don't have to wrestle with these things on my own um yeah that's awesome I 
You know, I think that um, in the as an independent publishing author, as you are, that kind of building a team of colleagues must be really helpful because it kind of, if you think about like in a traditional publishing mm -hmm. context, often the author and their agent might be fairly collaborative at the planning stage. And then there's more work sometimes I think with the premise and all of those things and in, in, um, in collaboration with the editor, once you have an existing relationship with an editor and all those things, I guess I feel like, um, it's a lot of pressure to put on just one creator to come up with the whole story. So it makes sense to me that those connections with other authors who like who you trust and who understand your, how you work, that that would be really valuable. So that's cool mm -hmm. to hear about that insight. Yeah. For sure. For sure. That is, it's been, that's been like a huge game changer. Um, my, one of my, that my MF author friend that I used to co-write with, she talks about finding her tribe and how essential that is. And it really is essential because it can be such an isolating process. And it, yeah, the whole thing can be, can, I don't know, it's, it's easy to burn out. I think it's easy to like, to lose yourself in it or to, because the, 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 um, discouraging voices can sometimes seem really loud, louder than the encouraging ones. And so you definitely need to find some people who are going to like, help you keep things in perspective at least for me i i think that's true for most people but it sure is for me keep you off goodreads but apparently not always huh? <laughs> no, sadly sadly no no well, a little bit masochistic just a teeny little bit yes um well i went on i went on there for a purpose i went on there for a reason that was always a reason um to, to check something and then uh and then, you know, I fell down a little rabbit hole. I would just went to check something else real quick. And then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. 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 Okay. So I wanted to talk about a certain scene in the book. This is the one where, okay, it's like, so Gage offers he's at a bar kind of licking his wounds after like another failed attempt to make mm -hmm. Nog want him back well he you know of course he already does we all know that and Gage kind of knows that but to make him act on their on their attraction or whatever so Gage mm -hmm. while there starts talking to this guy John and then he John is sort of going through something similar and so what winds up happening is that that Gage and John try to make well, they don't really know who they're trying to make jealous, but basically it's these two couples both doing that scene where they're like, you know, dancing provocatively with someone else in order to make the other person jealous to, to like force them to confront the feelings. I love this scene, but I don't think I've ever seen one like this um, that is like to the second power where, where both of the couples are doing the exact same thing. Maybe they are out there and I've just missed them, but I wondered um, if you could talk about the uh, origin story of that scene and what made you decide to like double down on it. If you have an answer, maybe it was just that natural um, and spontaneous inspiration that you've, that you've talked about having. <laughs> Actually, it kind of was because this was, the, that was one of the first scenes that I came up with when I was writing the book. I want to say, so the, the intro part, that whole like tale of how he came to be there, 
that was probably the first thing. And then the next thing that came up with is this jealousy making dance scene. So a lot of the book was just written around that to get to that place. Um, because I had pictured it in my mind and I, I had invented a John and then I, uh, um, I had I had imagined that they were going to be throwaway characters, sort of, which is why the guy's name is John. Good God, John of all romance novel <laughs> character names, <laughs> nobody's allowed to be named John in a romance. Um, so yeah, I had imagined that they were going to be just kind of that. That was they were only going to be, uh, you know, things that that these characters that Gage and Knox could play off of. But then I ended up writing a little short story for for John and Tegan as well. Um, yeah, but that really was one of the first, like, that scene that, like, appears in your head that you kind of structure the whole story around. And sometimes it is, like, a weird scene like that that just didn't, it didn't, wasn't even, like, a, wasn't a, a scene that was, like, schmoopy or, or anything like that. But it was just kind of, like, hot and um, challenging, I think. It's when each of them sees that the other person is sort of, like, uh, uh, Learn, starts to take each other seriously as a potential lover. How about that? Yeah. Um, well, I think that one thing that's a little, like, slightly subversive in that scene, too, is that, you know, so particularly with John and Tegan, like, as soon as, as soon as they realize that they're actually kind of hurting each other, they just instantly call it off. They just feel so bad. They're <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah. I, I didn't I would never want you to ever think that it was just really cute um so kind of how the two couples or couples to be like kind of react differently to um to that suggestion that they submitted <laughs> so funny yeah. it was really good because <laughs> honestly you're you're absolutely right I think probably Gage and Knox if they had not if the, if Tegan and John had been different people um, more, more obstinate people. I think Gage and Knox probably would still be one-upping each other. They'd still be like, you know, <laughs> yeah. but neither one of them would have called a halt to it. I think that would, that would have been much harder for them to achieve if it hadn't been for Tegan and John. So you're right that, yeah, they did have very different approaches to, uh, or reactions, I should say, to the, to that encounter. I love that you said that this scene was one of the first things that kind of came to you for the story, because earlier when you were talking about your process, I must have been filling in the blanks incorrectly in my head, because I had this sense that you kind of, um, well, okay, so maybe the planning isn't sequential, like you write sequentially, right? So you begin at the beginning, but but when you're outlining, mm -hmm. it's a little bit more amorphous, maybe at first. Well, it's sort of like when you, before I actually outline, I, I think up these books for like a really long time. I, uh, I, you know, like just the way you rule them, you imagine who the characters are, what their motivations are, what they want, what they, you know, what they like and dislike, that kind of thing. So, and usually for me, when I, when I start thinking about a story, I think about one particular, there's usually one particular scene that comes to me and I, I kind of structure the whole book around that. I, it kind of informs who the characters are and what they needed to have done, like what the beginning of the book needs to be to get them to that place. It's usually somewhere in the middle. It's rarely like anything like an end scene. It's usually not even like the, the um, dark night moment 
Um, it's usually just somewhere in the middle. Sometimes it's even like a, a happy scene, like that kind of false HEA scene that happens in the middle. But anyway, so I, I, that's the kind of thing that comes to me. And so it's just about trying to get the characters to that place. And then where do they go from there in order to make that like thing a reality? And so that's the scene that came to me for, for Pick Me, which like the next book that I'm working on. Should I talk about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the next book is called Handpicked. Okay. The next book is called Handpicked. And the story is about Knox's younger brother, uh, Webb, who was married to a woman and he has a son and he's going through a custody dispute and it's all really difficult. And his partner, I'm pretty sure that this is like, I'm, I don't even know if I've talked about this, but it's, it's, um, his son's teacher is who he ends up with, but the way that they end up together. Okay. So the first scene that I envisioned in this book is at the close to the beginning of the book. Um, there are bylaws in this crazy little town, uh, in, in Vermont that if you blow the ceremonial bugle in the middle of the town square, then that announces your declaration to be hand fasted. Hand fasted? Yes. <laughs> to someone. <laughs> so somehow these two guys, not somehow, but like these two guys are out drinking because there isn't there always drinking. So they're, uh, they're out drinking. And um, they, they, they had a little bit of dislike of each other. I wouldn't call this, it's not really enemies to lovers, sort of. It's sort of like, dislike to lovers i don't know it's nothing so passionate as enemies but there's they have a little bit of bad blood and um they have even more bad blood at the beginning of this book because of the thing that happens and then they um end up drinking together and you know saying basically i love you man and um embracing in the town square and they unconsciously trigger this list of events where if you've done, once you've triggered this thing, you have to do 14 other things in order to be able to consummate your hand fasting and to have it become a marriage. And the town becomes incredibly invested in getting them to do this because they want publicity, good publicity for the town. So um, <laughs> I can't, I don't even, I don't want to give too many spoilers because honestly, I'm so bad about that. I would tell you about the whole story and then you would have no need to read it. Um, but the list of things that they have to do seems quite impossible at the beginning and it ends up not being because the town is, like I said, matchmaking and kind of working behind the scenes to make it happen. But this bugle scene and the <laughs> the reading of the, of the list of things that you need to do that was the first scene that occurred to me um and I already have even like the the next book down the line I already know what the the pivotal scene for that's going to be too but we won't talk about that yet but yeah so it's it's usually there's usually one scene and I base the whole rest of the book around that oh my gosh I didn't know um, I could be I, more excited about this stinking <laughs> book which um, is a little resentful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, having, I'm having a lot, a lot of fun with it. Um, poor Luke, who's the teacher, is just like, he's the saddest panda. He's the saddest panda at the beginning. I should also, I mean, I don't think it's giving anything away because it's only the first chapter to say that this poor guy, like, 
he ended up in this town because he won a contest. Uh, like you know those you know those essay contests that like a few years ago on Facebook this was a thing. People would like submit an essay about why you deserve this house. This oh. like English. You can and like win ten dollars in your letter is your yeah like a raffle. Yeah, <laughs> so he enters this raffle to win this piece of property in Vermont, and his mom encourages him, basically, sort of forces him, um, strong arms him into into doing it because she thinks it's going to be so perfect and fairy tale like for him, and so uh, he ends up in this rundown. Like literally the place is falling down around his ears and there's, is not at all what he uh, thought that he was going to get. So he came to find his fairy tale, his happily ever after. And he is the status panda because he did not, not only did he not find it, but he made an enemy of his next door neighbor, who's the, the other MC for various reasons. And as one of them involving winning this land and then, yeah. And so he has, he has a lot of he he needs to get quite happy. Like he's he's starting a very negative happiness. He's very sad, and he really needs uh, a lot of good things to happen, and they do. And the whole town kind of like embraces him, and it's lovely. I'm oh, so excited for yeah. this because I feel like you really are so great at the like colorful cast of characters in town in the town. That part of your stories is always so good, and I loved mm-hmm. in Pick Me the um. Oh my gosh, I, names escape me. Frankly, like I yeah. main characters are the only ones I can remember. But like the the bed and breakfast, that lady, and um, um yes, yeah. yeah. So I yeah. was like instantly thinking, okay, I'm gonna have to see her in every book. Like you know, <laughs> yeah, we need more dances. Like this is all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the little the little Pippin um little Pippin Hollow is the name of the town, and they have a um a, a wool a wool craft community that's like very vibrant, and um my main character is uh he when he inherits this land he's um he's raising sheep because he also is a fiber artist, so there's the um there's an organization called the Little Pippin Hookers. Because they're, you know, they're shares. <laughs> and they, they're pretty wild and crazy. Yes. So I'm having, I'm just having so much fun with it. And I, if people have, you know, even like half of the excitement reading it, if people have even half as much fun reading it as I have writing it, then it should be fun. Sorry. Could you say that again? Ooh, my watch is telling me that I'm. <laughs> She's. He wants to put the thing. No, I, I genuinely cannot wait now. It sounds so adorable. Oh, thank you. I hope I hope you guys like it. Yeah, it's I'm still like right in the middle of it because I still write slow, but uh should be coming out hopefully hoping for for April. Oh, yeah. perfect timing. I think I pre-ordered it, so I'm going to immediate immediately when it comes out. Oh, awesome. <laughs> thank you. That's so sweet. That's awesome. Now on to um some more heavier things. So kind of during the events of the book, um, Knox he's kind of learning to kind of deal manage his mental health because um he had mm. some panic attacks when he was at work, and he was told by his yeah. therapist that it was due to 
all the stress in his life. So kind of how did you like discover and develop this aspect of his character and like him overcoming like his internalized stigmas towards his mental health? So that is actually pretty intensely personal to me. My um my daughter and actually two out of my three kids, but particularly my daughter really, really, really struggles with panic attacks, with anxiety, um, pretty debilitating stuff that she's uh, been dealing with. And so um, it's been a real, you know, a struggle for her, not only to like to, to deal with those things and find coping mechanisms that work for her, uh, medications that work for her, but um, to sort of, accept that she has a mental illness and to be able to talk about it and not feel um stigmatized by it for her to advocate for herself she's 17 um so for her to advocate for herself with her teachers um and with her friends and sort of be able to draw boundaries for things that she feels like she is and isn't able to handle and so um that is I think that's a hard thing. Like Knox is about my age. Um, it's a little, a couple of years younger than me. And I think that that's a really hard thing for people my age to handle. I'm making gross generalizations. So, but just like as a generational thing, um, I think, I think that's tough uh, for us to like wrap our minds around. It's, it's maybe, I think people my daughter's age are a little bit more used to doing that. So I, I wanted to kind of like explore that and kind of, I don't know. I was really, I'm really inspired, obviously, by all of my kids, but uh, particularly the way that she has learned to cope with this and like, I don't want to say embrace it because it's not, it's not a thing that she's embracing, but to sort of like own it and to um, be able to advocate for herself and not be ashamed of it at all. So that's where that came from. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not awesome that she's going through that, of course. But no, I know, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I yeah, it was. I think that it it's um, treated with such nuance, so it shouldn't surprise me to know that it's something that you have dealt with in your life as a supportive, um, in a supportive role. That's thanks for yeah, sharing that. Perfect. Oh yeah, I mean, I get you know, honestly, it's kind of like because of her and like the way that she is able to talk about it and own it, then I feel comfortable being able to talk about it to you. I mean, it's something that so many people deal with and we all have our own mental health concerns and struggles. And yeah, she is a very, she's the coolest. She is the coolest. She, um, she proofs all my audiobooks for me. She's awesome. <laughs> she's really, she's ho- a little bit horrified by all of them. Yep. <laughs> she's awesome. That but is like amazing. Level. I don't even, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. I know people who don't want anyone in their family to read their books, but I love that you're, that you are proud of your work and feel like it's, um, oh, yeah. a, you know, I will say often people say things like, you know, I, my, I wouldn't want people like kids, you know, teenagers or whatever to pick up my books, you know, romance authors. And I always think like, oh my gosh, I think I was maybe 11 when I read my first romance novel. So, oh, and, you, for sure. 
I don't think it was a bad way, especially this was, you know, pre-internet. So, um, yes, Ella, I was alive before the internet. And <laughs> oh also God. post-pubescent. Can't imagine. Anyway. <laughs> well, anyway. I, uh, I definitely was like 11 or 12. Uh, yeah, when I started reading them. And I mean, like, I started reading the... <laughs> You know, it was enlightening in a way that like well, health class would not have been. Like I, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it links. It's not like they're good sex ed, or at least the books, the books that I was reading were definitely not. But they were at least like linking, um, you know, the idea of sexual activity with the idea of feelings and choice and a relationship. And so, um, I don't think that they're. I don't think that they're a bad thing for. Um, impressionable minds to read, but um, but the the ones that I was reading were like slightly problematic, which is a whole nother conversation for a whole nother. Yes. So yeah, no, I, I, I don't want to have that conversation, but but um, and I too was reading some some really pretty problematic ones, but um, there were this was back in like the eighties, the late eighties, and they had these romance novels for kids. <laughs> I'm <even> kidding, <laughs> not even kidding. They're called um. I think they were Sunfire or Starfire, Sunfire, I think. And they were all historical romances where the girl has to choose between like, you know, two potential lovers who um, like uh, the, <laughs> the American Revolution one, she has to choose between like the Patriot and the Tory, that kind of thing. So there are like, there's a woman on the cover with like two different men in the background. And I literally started reading this crap when I was like nine. So I, I was like cutting my teeth on romance novels, uh, really, before I even started. I mean, there was no sex in them at all. They end with like a warm embrace and that's that's it. But they were like definitely love and feelings and, you know, I don't know, making choices and that kind of thing. And that, I think, um, then obviously I just moved right into adult romance novels and then never looked back from there and that was like in the in the 80s when things or the early 90s when things were not great that you would not want to like base your opinions about sex or what relationships are supposed to look like on what some of those books suggested yeah mine were I mean I was like into my grandmother's romance novels and um I found them, you know, they weren't like available to me, but I just located them and took them. And she apparently was really into those ones where it's like you were kidnapped by a pirate or a bandit or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not my fault. I'm still kind of into dubious consent from time to time. (laughs) Been programmed into me. (laughs) Have you read Kathleen Woodowis? Do you know who I mean? I don't no. know. I wouldn't remember. See, I feel like I wouldn't necessarily remember authors at this point. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's just very, it was a very, <clears throat> very dubious. Very <laughs> dubious. <laughs> anyway, that was, you know, formative stuff for me. Anyway, but I definitely, I, it's funny because um, I do think, though, that reading so much of that, it's just it's like you become steeped in it. I don't, I think if I tried to write a mystery, thriller, whatever, it would come out as a romance novel anyway, just because that's what I've read so much of. I don't, it's one of those unconscious things. Like, so um, 
we homeschooled my kids um, up until high school and now they're like in online school. Uh, but one of like the biggest lessons that I learned as a homeschool mom is that you don't necessarily have to like teach your kids things in a formal way, because if you give them a lot of good stuff to read, then they will learn not only like the content of what you're having them read, but they'll learn like good sentence structure and where to put a comma and how to spell things appropriately because they'll see it, they'll be exposed to it. And so for me, it's the same with like romance novels. I have read so many that that it's like, it's, I don't know, it's like breathing to kind of, I don't know, to structure things appropriately. For the longest time, I resisted being a, a real plotter in a formal way. Like I would, I would outline, but I would not use like Romancing the Beats, for example, which is a pretty standard um, book about, you know, a method, I should say, of like plotting romance novels. And I, it was hard for me to do that because I don't, because I had this like more innate sense of how the things were supposed to go. And I felt like Romancing the Beat was too formal for me. I don't know. It was weird, but yeah, I definitely think that like when you are exposed to something for so long, it just becomes sort of, even if it's like those problematic ones, you do like you learn something from them and then you like apply it into your writing later on. I just learned a new word, problematic -y. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's, it's in my vocab now. See, and I feel like late to the romance game, because it wasn't until I was like 15 years old, and this was like kind of late aughts, and it was like vampires everywhere. So, of course, my first proper one was True Blood. So now I've just been hooked on vampires ever since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that one is like not even really. Well, we don't have to get it. We don't have to get into that. That's not like super really a romance, okay, Ella? <laughs> Can I? It, kind. I mean, there are relationships. They don't tend to end very yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Right. Ella, I have this argument a lot because she'll recommend me a book and talk about the relationship in it, and then I'm like halfway through it when I realize it's not an effing romance and someone's <laughs> gonna die or something. Because she loves a she loves a gut you with a shovel kind of an ending i have to say like i'm i love you but it's true and oh god i have traumatized love a happy oh, ending love a sad ending too that's ella just a contrarian oh i need to ask you some questions about some books like just offline <laughs> you've read them. i don't want to spoil anything for anybody by like announcing that it has a sad ending but there are some that i have to ask and see if you've uh See if you've read them and oh, what you yeah, thought about do. them. I will say, Man, I can't. <laughs> I have not read A Little Life, and I think that one is too traumatic for me. <laughs> I keep seeing it at work. It's like, no, I'm staying away. <laughs> I I am fascinated by people who can read a book and not know that it's going to have a happily ever after. I even have have really slowed down in my consumption of just general fiction because if I can't be assured especially in the last few years if I can't be assured that it's going to end well I can't I can't like I can't embrace it my kids have loved Game of Thrones for example I don't think that's a spoiler um they've loved Game of Thrones I absolutely can't I can't even begin to go down that path that's just to know that like POV characters are not going to make it out I don't know why you would do that to yourself Happy endings are bust. They always say it's worth it for the payoff, but in Game of Thrones, it's not even worth it. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes, only happy endings. Exactly. Exactly. But sometimes um, you just need a good cry. Yeah, I, but I like to do my crying in the middle and then have it be uplifting <laughs> at the end. I I agree. Like some sometimes you just need a good like super angsty thing. But I don't know. I always like it to end happily. <laughs> I I can't imagine how people who have been watching Game of Thrones like religiously felt about the ending of that. I just well, do you want me to tell you how we felt, May? <laughs> <laughs> I just will also this is not on topic, so I'll just leave it at like if if that really is what George R. R. Martin plans for the books, then I hope he never finishes them. <laughs> like no, no. I wanna live in a world where that was just a that was just a bad adaptation and the, the true correct ending will is yet to come. Okay. But that's not that is not on topic but yeah um it's so interesting real quick to say that like the ending of things i feel like um in a romance you know there's there's an art to doing it in a way that's satisfying too even though people know what's going to happen they don't want to be able to predict how it's going to happen it's like really interesting um it's a it really interesting i think for an interesting challenge must be for um, every author to figure it out because i know as a reader sometimes the endings really fall flat for me. And, it, and then other ones, I'm just delighted. And both in both cases, I knew they were going to get together at the end. And yet it's not that simple, you know? And I feel like the ending of things can impact so much of the future successes of, of any sort of project. So like Game of Thrones to me missed an opportunity to be something that people watch for 25 years because now like you don't, you don't you don't recommend it to people in the same way you would if the ending had been satisfying. You know what I mean? Or you no one wants to rewatch it. Like you know what I mean? So I, I think I think that we often um, focus so much on the beginnings of things, but the endings of things is is um, so important for their longevity. And I think that's true in romances too. But this doesn't really have anything to do with anything. So I'm gonna let Ella ask her question and shut up. Okay. <laughs> I will say. One thing, okay, my theory as to what's going to happen to Game of Thrones is that he's totally not going to finish them. And so then Brandon Sanderson, when George R. R. Martin, like, when he eventually <laughs> dies, Brandon Sanderson will jump on it. And then he will release the rest of the books. And I cannot wait. I mean, not George R. R. Martin. I hope you live a long life. But also, Brandon Sanderson, get on it. <laughs> Brando said that will still the day. I love that. Oh my gosh, we nerd. Anyway. That is that's an amazing. I love that. Okay. That's my new uh that's what I'm gonna say now too. I wanted to read those books just because they were so good, but yeah, I can't even if they had, had like a more satisfying ending, I don't know. I just can't I can't love the I can't fall in love with the characters and then have them leave. I can't. I'm just I get way too attached to them and I can't like I can't have POV characters die. They all have to live somehow. <laughs> See, That's this is the thing and this is the thing that I think is so hard about those oh my gosh, I'm doing it again. I said I was gonna shut up. But I think the hard thing about it is that the what you get attached to in a series like that is like not just the people, but like what they stood for and the theme that they represented and the way that their contribution allowed the story to build. And so that makes the plot problems that much more heartbreaking <laughs> because it's 
like people died so that we could get to this stupid season. And it is not, this is not what they died for. <laughs> I really am going to stop now because we don't want to take up too much of your time. Ella <laughs> has the script. Back on topic. Final question. Okay. <laughs> has there been like anything that you have read recently? Uh, like any five star reads that you would recommend to us? Uh, that's not game. Uh, I have so many. Okay, wait. You said we can't take too much time. Okay. No, no, no. no, no. Give, us, give us a whole massive list. Give me all the recommendations. I need them. Okay. All right, so I have some that are just like, yeah, I have a whole bunch, but like a lot of them, I'm trying to go like a little bit deep dive because obviously like everybody knows what's at the top of the charts and in in gay romance that are like super popular. So diving a little deeper, these are some like interesting finds that I have been reading recently. So um, although this one actually is a chart topper, which is the only James Necessary Evils series, a family of of like an adopted family of psychopaths and sociopaths. I know, I know, but um, they're amazing. And how they like, they end up finding their life partners. And it's not quite love, but it's close enough to love. And it's, yeah, it was, it, it's really, it was actually really thought provoking to me because one of the, uh, one of the things about this, about these characters is that they're, technically incapable of love because all of them are psychopaths and they're like mercenaries they're uh not mercenaries that's what i'm looking for they're more like their uh their father like adopted all of these kids so that they could seek justice for people who couldn't get justice in another way because they're killers right and so oh there you go awesome and so they are um they technically can't fall in love right but they become obsessed with somebody else and it becomes like it made me start to think about like okay so like what actually is love if you're willing to like fight and die for somebody and all you want to do is make them happy and you're super like obsessed with making sure that they're always well cared for and whatever isn't that like pretty close to love because i think that like practically speaking I, it looks like if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, right? Yes, it's super hot. Super hot. Um, okay, so there's that one. Then uh, Alessandra Hazard, basically everything she writes, but the Kaluvia Royals series is like, good Lord. Awesome. Love that. And also her her um, Alpha series, Wrong Alpha, I think is the latest series and those are also amazing um oh we're twins yay um let's see who else okay getting a little bit <laughs> getting a little bit weirder here there's a i shouldn't say that i shouldn't preface it by saying this is weird but it is a little bit unusual there is a book called um a walrus and a gentleman no, but really though, go with me here because he's a walrus shifter who's um, a lighthouse keeper and he uh, he ends up with this like guy. It's, it's really, really well done and like super different. Yep, there you go. Thank you. You guys are awesome. And let's see, there's one that I just read that was really beautifully written and again, like very different a very sweet 
story called um, Seducing the Sorcerer, which by Lee Welsh. And then Cat uh, Sebastian just had one come out called The Missing Page, which is the second book in her... Uh, shit, what's it called? Anyway, she had it's the second book in her like page series, which is great. And that sent me down a whole like Cat Sebastian historical road, which then induced a KJ Charles reread, which was a whole rabbit hole that I barely just emerged from because I adore KJ Charles and like every single thing she's ever written. Um yeah, we love we love KJ Charles here too. So I should have warned you beforehand that. Uh-huh. We have a policy that if anyone ever says anything negative about her, they are instantly ejected from the Discord. <laughs> so, but it sounds like you didn't need that, so we're good. The only, negative, the only negative thing I have to say is that, honest to God, like, I need to stop because I can't, like, it's just so consuming. <laughs> it's just, like, I just go way too far down that, uh, I, I don't know. I reread her books so, so, so often, and I the number of times that I have recommended, this is super off topic, whatever. I'm just going to go with it. The The number of times that I have recommended her, um, The Ruin of Gabriel Ashford, the short story, is like, I mean, I tell everybody that they need to read this. The way that she managed to capture so much in such a short story, just, I'm a very fangirl. Um, and I was just... Like literally minutes before we got on here, I was just finishing up. What is it? The last one in the the sugared. It was not the sugared game. Is it subtle blood? Whatever the third book in that series is. Um, subtle blood. Yes. Thank you. See. Oh, you guys are helpful. Uh, yeah. Oh, and I also, while I was in the middle of this reread, finally found like a bunch of bonus content of hers on her website that links Think of England and Subtle Blood, like Think of England and the the Will Darling series, which was like mind exploding, so. Oh yeah, I love that little short story. And I have also recently finished rereading um, The Lily White Boys, which is uh, that dynamic, brilliant. And I feel like it is impossible to not reread K.J. Charles. Like you have to, it is the law. I agree, (laughs) I agree. They're just so good. They're just so good. Um, and there was another, oh, uh, Rachel, if you haven't seen the, if, have you, if you haven't found all her bonus content, there you go. Awesome. There's a story in there too that's kind of like a bonus content thing of Dominic and um, Silas, Don, Dominic and Silas, is, um, which is like also mind exploding and hot, highly recommended. It goes in like a direction, which is honestly... It's not even a preferred direction of mine. I have to say, it's not a like, it's not my, it's not my jam. But she made it my jam. That like she can, uh, she can almost make anything my jam. So, yeah. and I'm just leaving it up. She is, she is so, she's so good, she's so very good. Yeah, I'm excited. I don't know why, but I, I always um. I'm not like always a big bonus content reader. I don't know why. I think it's, I know it's just because it's like, it's just enough to make me hungry (laughs) for more, (laughs) but that's not always the case. I don't know. I have that attitude. So I'll have to check it out. 
Well, in this particular case, it was more like I had like eaten the whole pie. Literally, I've eaten her entire collection. And so I was like trying to get the last crumbs, any other <laughs> thing that this that this woman has written, you know, I don't know, grocery lists, anything that she might have written down, I would read. So exactly. That's when I start reading all her tweets. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think was was KJ Charles our very first interview. I can't she, remember. No, yeah, no, no. She our was first mine. one was Lisa she was my first one. Right. Yeah, which well, was very was scary. Anyway. And I scared the hell out of her. Do you remember that, Ella? We uh, <laughs> 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 like we Discord, and she was in her. I've we we have talked to her. It's it's oh, really amazing. Just as just as we're doing with you, if we love someone's books and we are brave and asked to talk to them they often say yes just as you did <laughs> she did it as well wow. and it was super nice but yeah she was like in new to discord and she was in the vc channel but she didn't realize she was still in it and um i joined it and i could like hear her typing but i knew she didn't know that she was in there you know what i mean so i was like um i don't want to like um you know listen inadvertently eavesdrop so i was like KJ, are you there? And yeah, she was terrified. Like the computer was speaking to her. <laughs> in its own oh. <laughs> She's so funny. Um, so she made that all very um even my mortification, she made that somehow just a pleasure. So <laughs> oh, yeah. now I wanna like, go and like listen to that. Um, because that's amazing. I mean, there's also um Alexis Hall has a new one out. I haven't read that, but I, I want to. Make, thinking of like KJ Charles naturally makes me think of Alexis Hall. So I need to read that one. And also, um, do you guys, have you guys read Rowan Parrish? Yes, she was also on here. And I, had, I love her books so much. Uh, yeah. Yep. Something fabulous. That's perfect. Also, so like The uh, Middle of Somewhere by Rowan Parrish is another one of my like constant rereads. I adore that book so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I hate to plug our podcast, but apparently you need to be listening <laughs> to it, because we did we did talk to Ron about um, better than people, and she's lovely. And also, that was when she teased her little um, TED TEDx talk that she was giving on how romance and horror are similar, and that's out now. Um, it was recently released and it was really fascinating and it's quick to listen to too. So we obviously, we, we love you. And so we shouldn't be surprised that you like a lot of the things we like, but you and Alicia have perfect overlap in your reading habits. <laughs> can tell. Although I don't, you read 17 books in four days. This is how we'll really know if you guys have the same brain. I absolutely can read 17 books in four days. Oh in fact, I can't think of a better way to spend four days. <laughs> 17 books. <laughs> that would be my ideal. If I can stick into a series, I will binge the heck out of it. Like, a, um, I, bet, I bet they were a great four days. No, I'm not a slow reader. I'm a really fast reader, especially when I'm, like, really into a series. Um, have you guys, like, back in the day, there was this, it's MF, so... It's but like Suzanne Brockman had these troubleshooters. Yep, Alessandra Hazard also binge worthy, but um, Kate, uh, Suzanne Brockman had these troubleshooters books, and I must have like glommed them up in like a week. 
Um, I love, that's why I love to, I kind of love to be late to, late to the party with certain series because then I can go in and just like mop them all up immediately. And uh, I really, I hate having to wait. That's another thing that would drive me crazy with like Game of Thrones, the waiting thing. Mm-mm, no, I love me a binge read. You know, my son, and I know we need to go because we're already over time, but my son is seven and he is just, I'm just like introducing him now to some of the things that I like, including like the Star Wars universe. And he's so funny, like he is a child of streaming Disney Channel television, you know, so like when something is over and there's a week before some, before the next one comes out, he's like, he can't get his head around it. He's like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean we have to wait? I was like, oh no, you're, you cut your teeth on binging content. You're never going to be like me where I savor the weight. It makes me appreciate, mm. what I get. but I, maybe that's just my personality and not necessarily my generation. I think it's your personality because I'm older than you and I absolutely cannot go back to those prehistoric days where I had to wait like a plebeian, no. I really like to just, I really want it all now. Um, waiting is the worst. It is the worst. Um, well, I need, so I need to be like, if anybody who's listening to this has um, amazing series that I need to binge read, then you just need to like DM me or, you know, post it in the chat here and uh, let me know. Cause I am always looking for the next thing that I, that I should be reading because I'm, I'm like a, I'm a voracious, like 300 books a year kind of girl. So I definitely, <laughs> I feel like there, there comes a point where, and it's not true because there's always more and I just haven't found it yet, but I feel like I've read every good thing and I just need like, I need more. I need somebody to point me in a direction so that I can find another rabbit hole to go down and find more, more great. Things. I feel like. I feel like this is going to be a good relationship between you and Alicia. You guys each feed each other then. Um, but but you also have to write, but don't read too much because you have to write, <laughs> you have to write handpicked because you obviously need this matchmaking town de- declaration yeah. on the town square of hand fasting kind of book. This is going to be good. Thank you so much for coming today, May, and for being the best. What a blast. <laughs> yes. This and you're so- going to be, oh, I talked over you. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I just said thank you. This has been so fun. Well, I'm glad you've had fun, and I hope you'll come back and check that um, text channel. So anybody listening to this who wants to ask me a question over the next few days, mm-hmm. you can do that in the author's Q&A channel, or you can recommend a book to her. You could make it like a quiz, how she read this, see if you can beat the 300 books a year reader. Yes, <laughs> anyway, yes give me some good recs. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm asking you humbly for some good recs. Yeah, no, thank, thank you, you so guys. much for joining us. It's been so great talking to you. Same. Thank you very much. You guys are great. <laughs>